0: Love song to Jesus, and it was, I don't know, it got better the second time somehow. Um, that was beautiful. Um, hi, guys, I'm Pastor Jake. I'm the youth pastor here at New Hope, um, and I get a chance to speak to you today. Just about, um, I always struggle when I do standalone sermons, so I decided we're going to go through David. So every time I speak, whether it's back to back or um, whether it's eight months apart, um, I've decided to go through David. And I've been encouraged to do this by my father-in-law. He, um, he actually is a painter, and he was painting a portrait, or a, I guess a, I don't, I'm not a painter. He was painting a picture of David, and it was David fighting Goliath. And so he was doing a lot of research to make sure he got the armor right, and he got the perspective right and everything. And so he was doing all the study, and it really encouraged me to dive into David And it's hard because we we study David a lot. I mean, we hear the stories in Sunday school and everything of David fighting Goliath, and you can can fight the giants in your life, and God will give you strength. And you hear him over and over again, but it's been encouraging to go through it and find something new in it every time. So this message isn't the you can fight the giants in your life. This isn't the message that is, hey, Philippians 4.13, you can do all things. God's going to strengthen you. You can do it. that's not what this sermon is. The sermon really, what struck out to me this time, reading through David fighting Goliath, was why did he do it? What made a shepherd boy who came to run some errands for dad step out and fight a Goliath and fight on behalf of an entire country? Um, so let's, let's pray and just um, on, devote this time to God. Lord, I pray that you would just bless me. Lord, I pray that you would give me the words to speak, that you would allow me to... Um, be filled with your grace, your strength, and your words. Lord, may you allow me to speak truth into someone's life today. May you allow me to challenge someone, to encourage them, and just to bless them, Lord, with the words you've given me to speak as I've studied out your word. pray that you would just encourage us as you are indeed the anthem of our soul, Lord. And Jesus, you are the anchor for our heart. I pray that that is true today. Praise Amen. in your name. Amen. So, David is, we need a little background first. David is the youngest of either seven or eight brothers. It's not super clear. Um, But he is left behind in the desert. He's left behind in the wilderness, um, tending sheep while his brothers go off to war. His older brothers go off to war, and that's way more exciting than where he's stuck. He's stuck taking care of the sheep. But David is different. David is content with this. David could have been a shepherd his entire life, I believe, and been completely content with where he was at. But he gets an opportunity. Um, his dad takes, calls him out of the wilderness tending, and he says, Hey, can you go run these supplies to your brothers? Give this cheese to their commanders. Give this bread to your brothers. And just tell me how they're doing. So David is going to do this, and what's important when we read this is we know the end. We know what 1 Samuel 17 is about. It's about David defeating Goliath. When we start 1 Samuel 17, David doesn't even know that Goliath exists, let alone that he's going to be fighting a giant. So I want to make sure that we, we keep that in mind. He, all he thought was he was going to go run some errands for Dad. He thought that he was going to go from this little field to this valley where the armies had lined up for battle. He was probably excited to get out of the fields. I mean, I imagine... It'd be nice to get a little windshield time in and enjoy the time traveling and everything. Um, and so we're going to kind of, I'm not going to read the whole passage just because it's so long, but I would encourage you to go through it. But we're just going to kind of talk about what happens after he gets sent. Um, so First Samuel 17, right around verse 20, he leaves the flock in the care of another shepherd and he sets out. He shows up, he drops off his supplies, he drops off the bread, he drops off the cheese to the commander. He does all this, and then he goes and he finds his brothers. But while he's doing that, he hears from, the, from Goliath. He hears Goliath come out defiant against the armies of Israel. And so David asks, what's done about the man who kills Goliath? What's done to him? And his brother actually gets upset with him. He's like, what are you doing out here? Shouldn't you bid back with your sheep? So he asks again, what happens to the man who defeats Goliath? And so they tell him what happens to him. And then David volunteers to fight. He says, okay, I'm going to go do it. He, so he tells Saul. Now Saul was the king of Israel. Interestingly, Saul is head and shoulders taller than the rest of Israel. So if there was a, a kind of comparison of Goliath to in Israel, it was Saul. Um, But Saul says, okay, I'm not going to fight him. I'll let you fight him. You're a teenager. You've just come out of the hills uh, tending sheep, but you can fight him. And so David says, David goes. He tries on the armor of Saul first, and he says, this doesn't work. This is too big. I'm not used to it. I'm going to fight him as I've been fighting my entire life with a sling, and I'm going to defeat him just as I've been defeating enemies my entire life trusting the name of the Lord. And so he defeats him. It's kind of, I imagine it like the, if you guys familiar with Indiana Jones at all, when he fights that swordsman, the swordsman gets all crazy and he pulls out all these tricks and everything and then Harrison Ford just shoots him. Like it's the same idea. Like the battle is over before it even starts. He, he gets all fancy and then all of a sudden it's just, it's done. Um, and he defeats this giant. And that's amazing and it's amazing that God gave him strength to defeat this giant. But what I was curious about what, we're going to talk about today is why did David step out in the first place? What made a shepherd boy step out against this Captain Philista like giant who was willing and able to take on all competitors? Um, And I think the number one reason that David was able to do this is because he had already seen God do great things through him. It's your first fill in the blank. Um, And David says this to Saul, He says, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. He says, When a lion or bear comes to steal my lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do this to this pagan Philistine as well, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord, who rescued me from the claws of the lions and the bear, will rescue me from this Philistine. David was already trusting God where he was. It wasn't like David got to this battle and said, oh, okay, now I'm going to trust God. David was already trusting him his entire life. Where he was at, he was trusting him. As a shepherd, he was trusting him. David was not just a regular shepherd. He was an extraordinary shepherd. I mean, you think about it. I would not, if I was a shepherd, and I see a lion or a bear, like, I'd like to think of myself as fairly brave, but if I see a bear, like, I'm gone. Like, I'm done. <laughs> nope, nope, like, that lamb is, that lamb is I'm sorry, that's, that's how life works. Um, but that's not what David did. David was trusting God already. And I like, he isn't prideful. He says, when a lion or bear comes, I go after it, I catch it, and I club it to death. But he also finishes that with, the Lord who rescued me. He knows where his strength comes from. He knows where his trust is. He knows where his grace comes from. Um, it's important to see God doing great things through us. And I think there's a couple of reasons we don't. I think sometimes we don't see it because we're prideful. We kind of get this idea that I can do it all myself. And anything good that's happened in my life is because I've made it happen. Uh, David could have very easily done this. He could have said, I defeated this lion and this bear. I killed it, I rescued the sheep because I'm awesome. But he doesn't do that. He says, the Lord has rescued me. He knows that without God, without God's providence, without God's strength, we are nothing. We, we, we can't do anything without him. And he gives us this, he gives us this idea that we, he gives us some freedom, but without him, we are nothing. We can't do it without him. And when we trust in him, we can do anything. Um, sometimes we're so prideful that we claim that we can do it all, and that's just not the truth. I think sometimes we get this idea that it's not that we don't see great things, or it's sometimes we see great things and we say, oh, I did those. Sometimes we just don't see great things at all. Sometimes we're just big eeyores wandering around this earth, and we're just like, man, today's terrible. This is horrible. Everything sucks. Like, we, we just get disappointed. So, I'm a youth pastor here at New Hope, and um, one of the fun parts about being a youth pastor is I get to kind of talk to high schoolers after they break up with a girlfriend or a boyfriend. And you've never seen sadness until you've seen a high schooler after their first breakup. And it's just like, I mean, they never come to me and they're never like, oh, hey. So we broke up, but I'm really excited because God's just really, he's shown me that he's got a different plan for my life, and ultimately, that plan's gonna be more fulfilling and more joy-filled than anything else I could have imagined. That's not, no high schooler after breakup has ever said that. <laughs> what happens is they come up and they're just like, man, this is terrible. Everything's trash. Like, my life's horrible now. I'm never going to love again. My entire plan is ruined. Everything is horrible. I'm done and that's, that's, that's how they act, and I mean, honestly, we'd like to pretend, but we're not any different than high schoolers. We're a little better at hiding it, but when life goes wrong, when we lose our job, or when something goes wrong, we kind of get this gloom about us where we're just like, man, this is terrible. God, why can't anything go right in my life? Why can't I get this job? Why can't I do this? And we need to remember that that's not how God works. God works through the hard times. He guides us through those valleys because he has a better plan for us. And it's easy to look at a high schooler when they broke up and say, okay, yeah, you probably weren't going to marry the girl that you met in sixth grade. And you've, whatever. like that. You know that, but do you know that when it happens in your life and when it's a bigger deal? Do you trust in him even when things are hard? And do you see him doing great things even through hard times? And I think the other reason that we don't see God doing great things through us is because we believe there's kind of different tiers of Christians. There's like the real doers of Christianity. We're going to head off to Passion here in a couple of days, and we kind of get the idea. That's where, like, people who really are doing God's work, I mean, like, John Piper, Matt Chandler, like, um, Ravi Zacharias, all of those guys, those guys are really working for God. And if God wants to do anything, he's going to do it through them. And if God wants to do things in Adele, he's not going to use little old me. He's going to use, like, like the real, I mean, like the A-team Christians. He's going to use Pastor Tom. He's going to use Pastor Ryan. He's going to use the elders, Tim, Mike, Dean. He's going to use those people. He's not going to use me. But that's not how God works. God uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways. Um, there's a quote by Henry Blackaby who was written a book that was kind of fundamental in founding new hope church and he says God can do anything he pleases through an ordinary person who is fully dedicated to him and that's that's true of David David was able to do amazing things the only thing that made David able to fight this giant was David said okay yeah I trust you you've done it before I've seen you do things and I trust that you're going to do it again he trusted him and God is working in your life. He's doing amazing things through you. The question is, do you see him doing those things? And do you trust him? There's an idea in the Old Testament. It's a way of remembering how God worked. And it's called, they're called the stones of remembrance. Israel is finishing up, they're coming out of the wilderness after wandering for 40 years. And so they come out, they've escaped Egypt and they've finally crossed into the promised lands. They've been literally looking forward to this for 40 years For generations, they've been looking forward to this. And when they cross in, they don't cross in kind of wading across. They don't roll up their tunics and wade across. They cross, the Lord stops up the Jordan River during flood time, and they walk across on dry land. And so Joshua leading them, after they've crossed, he says to 12 men, following the Lord's instructions, and he says, each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children asks, what do these stone means? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. The, na- the nation of Israel is made up of prideful, forgetful people. That's just like us. We tend to forget what God's done. But these stones are set up to be a physical reminder of the greatness and mercy of God. That Israel didn't get where they were alone, they got where they were because the Lord worked through them and did amazing things. And so what we need to do in our lives to make sure that we have seen the things that God has done through us and that we remember them, is you need to set up your own stones of remembrance. And I don't know what that looks like for you. For me, there's a lot of different ways that I, I do that, but one of them is this water bottle. So I, um, I got this because I needed a water bottle. But then I started putting stickers on it. And these stickers, they're kind of silly, but they also are, are reminders for me of things God have done, God has done. Um, there's stickers kind of from places I've been. There's a sticker I have from Chicago, the missions trip we went on there. Um, I've got a sticker from my hometown um, that just kind of reminds me of the people there, the people who kind of made Jake, Jake. Um, there's stickers of... Um, this Vans one is from a youth group kid who just said, hey, I saw this, and I see you needed new stickers. And it was just cool to see a middle schooler thinking far enough ahead to love me by just bringing that sticker and say, hey, this is for you. It was just a, a kind gift. Um, one of these stickers is the one I'm working on covering up right now because I don't love the memory. But uh, So this is from uh, the New Mexico Albuquerque Airport. Um, we went home to California for what, like 48-hour trip, like total, was it was going to be 48 hours. It, was, it did not feel worth it, and then we got to the airport, and we were delayed going out of Des Moines, and then we landed in Chicago, and we were delayed for another 12 hours, so then it really didn't feel worth it. Um, and so that sticker is a reminder of the fact that I definitely married up. Um, I was <laughs> pretty upset. I was um, trying very hard not to yell at the United employee who did nothing wrong, but I was upset, and Hannah was just a blessing to me that time, that trip. She was just a reminder. We got to spend time together that we wouldn't have without that delay. God just really showed me how well Hannah loves me and knows me in that trip. And so that could have been an Eeyore moment where I was just like, man, this sucks. I hate flying. I'm never flying ever again. My parents can come here if they want to visit me. But instead, it was a memory of, hey, God really blessed me. Through my marriage to Hannah. And he's done, sorry, um, he's done exactly as he should have, and it worked out better than I ever could have imagined. And we need to set up stones of remembrance. We need to set up things that remind us of how good God is and how he's worked through us. But so David trusted, He, he knew that God had done great things through him and that he was going to do that. But it wasn't just trust that spurred David to action. He saw something in the encounter that no one else did. David saw that Goliath was not just defying the armies, he was defying God. In verse 26, he says, who is this Philistine anyway? That he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God. What angered God also angered David, and that's why he was, able to, why he was willing to fight. When he, stepped to fight the, when he stepped up to fight this giant, he didn't do it for glory. He didn't do it for, for prestige. He didn't do it because he felt like he had to or because he was a warrior looking for a challenge. He did it because God's name was being dragged through the mud, and David was going to fight for him. Uh, it says in verse 45, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, and I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. Then the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. The biggest thing I saw when I read through this account this time, when I studied it out, was David didn't come looking for a fight. I mean, we know the whole story, but when he came, he was just a shepherd boy. He came... Running errands for dad, he came. He was happy tending sheep. He was content tending tending sheep. He was living his life. He was trusting God. But then, when he was confronted with someone with something he knew wasn't right, he felt compelled to act because what angered God also angered David. David fought Goliath not because he wanted the glory or honor. He wanted the riches. He wanted the. Uh, he wanted to marry Saul's daughter, which was part of what was promised. But he heard and saw that the name of the Lord was being attacked, was being defied, and he fought for the Lord. I think this is something called the puritanical term for it would be righteous indignation. But it's more simply known just as righteous anger. And this is different than regular anger. Regular anger is something I'm very well acquainted with, more than I'd like to admit. Um, But righteous anger means getting angry about the things God gets angry about about injustice, about things that offend him, about taking advantage of people, about sin in this world. Um, But that's not the only thing that makes righteous anger different than regular anger. Righteous anger is still anger that trusts God. David, when he was angry, didn't completely step away and say, okay, I'm going to fight this giant. He says, nope, I trust that the Lord is going to conquer this giant through me. And then the other thing that makes righteous anger different is that it is directed towards a problem. I think this is something, this is what really stuck out to me because I I do get angry. Especially as a teenager, I really struggled with that. I, I learned how to fix drywall because I learned how to put holes in drywall from my parents. Or dad was kind of who passed his temper on to me. And that's not what righteous anger is. Righteous anger isn't getting mad and punching things. Righteous anger isn't getting mad and complaining about things, about how terrible this world is, about how everything is falling apart, and it's not like it used to be. Righteous anger is directed towards a problem, and it should drive you to action. So let's check if David was righteously angry or just angry. David was angry because someone had attacked and defiled and insulted the God of Israel. He wasn't angry because he was insulted. He was angry because God was insulted. David trusted God to fight for him. It says, "You come with the sword and with sword and spear. I come in the name of the Lord." David fought with God. Fought for David. God fought through David. It wasn't David fighting on his own. And then David acted. Literally, every el- everyone else is standing on the sidelines of this battle. David comes as a shepherd, and there are king. There is a king. There is an entire army standing there, and none of them were willing to fight. But David was willing to fight because he saw something that no one else saw. He saw that God was being offended. God was being attacked, and he saw that he had to do something about it. We see righteous anger a lot in the Old Testament. You see it. Nehemiah is angry at the the oppression of the poor. There are prophets all throughout the Old Testament that are angry and upset about sin of the people and of the leaders but I think the number one, the kind of the go-to passage for righteous anger that we think of is in the New Testament. It's Christ driving out the money changers. And it's recorded in every gospel, but we're going to look at it in Matthew 21. Um, verses 12 and following says, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. He, he flips over these tables. He gets so angry, not just because he's upset, but because he sees people being taken advantage of. He sees the vulnerable who are trying to worship being taken advantage of. He sees people being oppressed. He sees his father's house being slandered and insulted, and he feels like he has to act. And that's, that's the biggest difference between um, righteous anger and between regular anger. We get angry about stuff all the time, some of us more than others. But when it's things that affect us, it's easy to get angry. When people offend us or when they do something wrong and it ruins my life, it's easy to get angry. But how would my life look different if I let the things that really mattered, the things that offended God, that made God angry... What if I let those make me mad? What if I was angry about things that really mattered? About the people taking advantage of the weak and the vulnerable? About people, um, about people being mistreated? People who were created in God's image being mistreated? About the injustices in this world? About things that are morally, sinfully wrong and against God? What would my life look like if I got mad about those things instead of about regular things? And I think sometimes we're scared to feel these feelings because we've, we're we not sure what we can actually do. Just kind of what prompted this and what kind of made this all come together is, so about a month and a half ago, November 14th, I was driving and um, I was listening or reading or something, um, and I heard about a school shooting, and it's a school shooting in Santa Clarita, which is in um, California. I've got a couple of friends who live down there, and it just really struck me that day. It just... It kind of made me angry. Um, it was uh, Nathaniel Burhau went to school and he shot five people. He killed two of them and then he ended his own life. This was on his 16th birthday. And it just kind of made me angry thinking about, thinking about the kids who have to go back to that campus and walk past places where their classmates died at school. Made me, my wife was a counselor at West Central Valley and if there's an unstable student at West Central Valley, Hannah's on that list, and that, that, that scares me. That makes me angry. It, it, it bothers me that there, there are kids, my youth kids, ADM, has drills to make sure that they know what to do if that happens at Adel. Like, that's not right. That's not something that a 16-year-old, a 15-year-old should have to prepare for, what happens if they're sitting in school and someone comes on campus with a gun. That's not the way the world is supposed to work. And it, 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 it bothers me. I mean, I remember hearing it for the first time. Like, it literally just made me furious. But it, it wasn't something that just made me angry and just made me, okay, fun. Like, it was something that made me want to do something. And I don't, I, I don't entirely know what that is yet. I'm not saying I have that part figured out. I don't know if it means starting an organization or publicly speaking out against that or whatever it is. But maybe for me, it's just reaching out to one student who's struggling who's having dark thoughts and maybe God's put me in their life to be an encouragement and a light to them. I don't know what it looks like, but I know that God is going to ask me to do something about that injustice. And I pray that I'll say yes. And for you, I don't know what it is. The same things that tug at my heart aren't the same things that tug at yours. And maybe it's something that completely different. Maybe it's something I don't have any idea about, but what makes you angry? What do you see in this world? And you say, that's not right. What makes you want to flip tables over and just get upset? Maybe it's orphans. Maybe it's widows. Maybe it's people who don't know the truth of the gospel. Maybe it's uh, the racial issues that are all throughout this world. Maybe it's, I don't know what it is for you, but there's too much wrong in this world for you not to be upset about the sin and the injustice in this world. So I pray that you find yourself angry with something, and when God asks you to act on that, you say yes. Because that's what David did. David said yes when everyone else said no. He was different because he said yes. And maybe, I don't know what your struggle is, maybe like the army, maybe you're terrified and dismayed. Maybe you're scared and dismayed. Maybe you see what's going on in this world and you're just like, I can't handle it. I'm just going to hide my head in the sand and I'm just going to hide. Maybe there's just, there's something called the bystander effect where you, you walk by, it's the easiest way to describe it is if you see someone stopped on the side of the road and they've got a flat tire. You can see they're struggling to change the tire and you don't stop because you've got somewhere to go and you know someone else will stop. I'm sure someone else will stop. I'm sure they've called somebody. And that's kind of what we do through a lot of life is we see a problem and we say, well, I don't need to do something about it. I can't do anything anyway. Someone else can stop. Someone else will will pull over. I don't need to. And that's kind of what the army did. Is they just said, "Nope, I, I'm going to keep my head down. I'm, I'm too scared to deal with this. I'm just going to avoid it, and I'm just going to look straight ahead and hope no one calls on me." Or maybe, um, maybe you're kind of angry at those who do act. There's, there's. It's recorded here. The first time David asks, "What happens to the man who? Um, what happens to the man who defeats Goliath?" His brother Eliab, David's oldest brother Eliab, responds, and he says, "Why have you come down here? With whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know who conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You only came down to watch the battle. I love. I I love that this is recorded because it shows that no matter what year it is, brothers are still brothers. They're still going to insult each other. and still like I can total. That's such a brother line of like those few sheep. Like it's just it's so exaggeratory. But I think." Eliab was angry because he was guilty his brother came down his, his shepherd brother who was in the wilderness with those few sheep and Eliab is angry at him because he was willing to fight and Eliab wasn't it's kind of a, a guilt or a shame because David said yes and Eliab said no or maybe like Saul you're just plain unwilling to fight uh Saul was really, if there was a counterpart to Goliath, it was Saul. Saul was described as tall. Saul had all his armor. He was the king. He was supposed to be the champion of Israel. And he was unwilling to fight, but he was willing to let this teenager come in and fight Goliath for, them, for him. Um, you see this a lot where people are just not willing to actually get in the trenches, but they're happy to stand from the back and offer advice. Um, They're not willing to actually do anything about it, but hey, you're doing something, but I think you could do it differently. And that's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to jump in. We're supposed to say yes. There are so many who say no, but there was only one who trusted God. There was one who had already seen God at work in his life and who was angry about what God, what made God angry. And he was willing to step out in faith and he said yes. Yes. It wasn't because he was special. It's just because he had a relationship with God that had been built over years. Like I said, it wasn't that David came to the battle of battling Goliath and said, okay, now I'm gonna trust God. He'd been doing it all along and he had this relationship. Um, In just a moment, we're going to um, take communion. And it's just a wonderful reminder of our relationship with God. And it didn't start because we're awesome. It started because God loved us first, and He wanted a relationship with us. And David looked forward to Christ. We get to look back towards His death and everything that did for us. So as um, as you think about this, I really, I really wanted to go very inspirational. I really wanted to go with the whole whatever whatever goals you have, God will help you fight them. Whatever you want to accomplish in twenty twenty, God will help you through it. But And it would have been easy to do that that way, but that's just not what I saw. I didn't see a David who was ready to kick in his yearly goals. I didn't see a David who was ready to just do what was on his list. I saw a David that was busy serving, and he was busy doing and living in a relationship and doing what God had already asked him. And then when God asked a lot more of him, David just said yes. So as you think through things, maybe during communion, just think through, what what are your stones of remembrance? What... How is God working in you? Do you trust him? And then what makes you mad and what are you going to say yes to in 2020? Thank you, Pastor Jake, for that encouragement to each of us to respond as the Spirit leads us. It's a great question. How is God leading you as we come forward this morning? We'll take the communion elements. I encourage.